it's not the shows that bother me because I haven't seen the shows. But if everybody's walking around saying you should do this, you should do that, I don't buy into this mob mentality, okay? I don't need to waste my time watching a show because everybody tells me I need to watch the show. If I see a show that I want to see, I'll watch it. If not, I won't. And leave me the hell alone. Don't tell me that I should see something because you like it. I don't want to watch things that you like. I'm not you. Leave me alone. I don't need to see this show so that I can come in and talk about it on the radio because everybody's talking about it. I don't care if we talk about Game of Thrones or not. I want this show to end so that people stop talking about Game of Thrones yeah. so it can go away already. It was the same thing with Breaking Bad. Oh, my God, Breaking Bad, one of the best shows ever. You know what? I didn't watch it because of that. I don't need people to tell me how great something is. Something's great. I'll get to it. And if I don't, I don't. Leave me alone. Why can't I just watch what I want to watch and you watch what you want to watch? Why do we all have to watch the same thing all the time? And the zombie show. That's another one. Oh, the zombie show is the greatest show ever. Oh, blah, 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 what the hell is that? What would you say you do here? It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Because I'm kind of an idiot. I'm a dumb guy. Brian, you don't have to keep trying so hard to impress me. I already really like you. Your midweek download destination. I told you about Brian. I told you. Come on, man. Brian was just making a joke. I'm so lucky to have met you, Brian. You're such an amazing guy. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Note to self, don't watch stupid TV shows if you don't want to, and also, don't die. Welcome into the supposed for-profit venture that is known as the Stone On Air podcast. Getting back to closely, closer to, I should say, a weekly uh, edition, it's just, eh, whatever day I can make it happen. Today, it's May 9th, 2019, Thursday, for the Stone On Air podcast, Not So Weekly Note. So coming up on the show today, a pretty standard three-segment show. Joining me right off the bat here in just a minute is going to be Letitia Wolf, uh, Meta Dead, a.k.a. from the Dead Dead show coming up here in town in uh, the 7th, 18th. I think it's the 18th. Hell, I don't know. She's going to be on the damn phone and tell us in just a second. Uh, also, she's just fun to talk to. And I was going to have Nick Let's Go On to talk about his newest video. Hopefully, we'll do it next week. He's on vacation in Florida with his family for such a really just brilliant mind and, and sometimes a really quirky, out-there, creative type. He really is the all-American kid. He's the all-American family guy uh, in a lot of ways. And I have, I've talked to him about that, how I think it's interesting how he can balance that out. But he is in Florida with the family. And um, we texted a little bit, but I, I didn't want to bother him on his vacation. So we might get him in next week uh, on the phone to talk about his latest Game of Thrones video, which is uh, Cersei from Game of Thrones her uh, lines from the show over the course of the entire series set to the uh, the background of a Billie Eilish style song and if you're not familiar with Billie Eilish and you're a people of a certain age with kids of a certain age your kids likely have heard of her very very odd but very very good in a lot of ways, sounding 17, maybe she's 18 years old by now. Very, very young girl who is one of the most popular pop acts out there right now, or at least she's ascending to that. This video is incredible, and it's on its way to being another one of these multi-million viewed from YouTube, Facebook, and every, everywhere else, all the usual suspects. But So Nick will not join me this week. Hopefully he will next week. Apparently he watched... All 60 hours-ish or so, however many it is exactly, of the Game of Thrones series in five days. In five days to prepare himself to make this latest video that is being um, distributed by, is it College Humor? It might be somebody else. I don't know. We'll talk to him more about that here in just a few. But in the second segment of the show, a Chattanooga, not, not born and raised, but somebody who spent a lot of time here and who could arguably be considered the most successful in new media from around these, these areas, tragically and just absolutely heartbreakingly sadly died. 
um, just about four days ago as of record time. And I spent about 30 minutes on it, and I find uh, her to be fascinating. I knew of her before her death. I've known more about her now after her death. That'll be the second uh, segment of the show. And in the final segment of the show, a uh, Twitter back and forth, a kind-hearted and very cordial uh, discussion about media, new media, newspapers, content online, what you do pay for, what you don't pay for, all those kinds of things. But first, before we get to all that, my dear friend Letitia Wolf is on the line with me. Hey! <laughs> I forgot the phone number. Uh, I dialed you. It's a long story, but... Uh... Bye. Brian, don't you lose that number. <laughs> hey, so um, are you a Game of Thrones gal? I can be, yes. Have you ever watched it, though? I have. How how far along are you? Like, do you are you? A... I have watched the entire thing up until now. Okay, so you're caught up all the way. I know all the stuffs and all the things with the dragons and the lack of dragons. Okay, well, I th- this was not supposed to be the subject matter of the show, but I, t- I talked a little bit about it last week. We're not going to do a ton. <laughs> Brian's podcast with Tish. What's your thoughts on Khaleesi? Uh, Do you think this show is amazing or is it just good enough to kind of entertain you or that it's awful? What do you think? Obviously, you don't think it's awful. I think it's on a downward spiral to excellence. Really? A downward (laughs) spiral to excellence, huh? (laughs) I mean, I think it's I think it's fine. I think it's a great show. I really love it or I wouldn't have. I don't watch a lot of TV at all, and I have invested the time in this show. So that says, yes, I do care about it. I like it. I do also understand the Disneyfication of anything that gets super popular. Uh-huh. So I feel like you definitely have um, kind of a, a watering down, if you will, and kind of a like, okay, let's start catering to a gigantor populace of fans as opposed to like, like, you would never have a red wedding nowadays that these HBO dudes are writing this thing. It wouldn't be like, let's kill everyone like they did back then. You know, now it's more like, we have to really play to the fan interests and make sure we don't lose everybody. I, I kind of, I, I think it reeks of that, but I am also very much into writing, so I geek out on that kind of stuff. So I feel like it's a little weak from a writer's standpoint, but oh. I feel like it's doing exactly what the viewers wanted to do and i am no i mean i love it i don't care like i'm just like yeah that was stupid i don't care i like it well that's where i'm at that's where i'm at i came in i've talked about it over the last couple weeks i've binged it for the last uh three and a half months so that that, that's a different perspective i get it and we won't (laughs) we won't get into all this but i do think and i was talking to some people that were super fans last night that it is it is interesting now that they're having to create the show rather than reinterpret the show from paper to to yeah. film right now they're just trying now they're that there's no yeah, net I'm all, I'm all about that it's like okay you went you know five or six seasons whatever on these books the books are over now you're off book once it got off book then i was like okay now we can get truly television entertainment level yeah. Because now we're just like catering to what people want, so it's more fun, you know. Well, at the end, I mean, uh, spoiler alert: like you know, people are having sex that we wanted to have sex, and people <laughs> are doing all the things we wanted them to do, and the only reason that's happening is because we're off book. Well, so, we... and I'm not one of the people that's read the books, but I have tons of friends that have, and they're all like. It's lame, and I I can I can see that, but I'm having fun with it. Well, we could have done an entire segment on this. We probably should have planned on that, but we won't go down Game yeah. of Thrones. Well, I will say, do you want to know who who do you want to win Game of Thrones, Brian Stone? I'm glad you asked that because uh, I absolutely don't care. I don't care how it ends. I, oh, on, I, I, I honestly do not care one bit how it ends. I actually, because I've been because I've been cramming it so much, I am so exhausted with this show. I can't wait for it to be I over. Imagine. I can't wait no, for the other. That's like how I was with Lost. But like I crammed what you're doing with Game of Thrones is what I did with Lost, which was like way later. Someone was like, "You've got to watch Lost," so I watched it like way after the fact. By two or three seasons from the end, I was like, "I want you all to die. <laughs> Please tell me that all of you die." Kate, I want you to die. Like everyone, I want you all to die. Jack, Dawn, even you, even you, Jack. Everybody. Yeah. All of you, I hope you all die, and um, it, I won't spoil loss for anyone, <laughs> but I was satisfied with the ending. Yeah, well, basically everybody died. <laughs> it was such a yeah. lame ending, but I hear everyone you on that. Everyone thought 
him. I was like, good. Okay, good. You're all dead. That's what I was hoping for. <laughs> or at least kind of dead anyway. Letitia, but with Game of Thrones, I'm Team Cersei all the way. I, I, I've kind of come back around I that way really myself. I freaking love her. If you're talking about, I've not read the books, but if you're talking about in season one, that girl was like, look, before the dude got beheaded, she's like, look, you either, in the Game of Thrones, yeah. the titular line of the show, yeah. In the Game of Thrones, you either win or, or you, you die. die. Yeah, you either win or die. Yeah, so everybody die. Let her win. She nuked an entire city. She doesn't give a crap about anybody. Let her win. She's clearly the only one fit to be a queen. So just let her win. For everybody, That's my vote. For all my uh, listeners out here, <laughs> I honestly had no idea whether Letitia's ever watched Game of Thrones or not. That wasn't like, hey, let's talk Game of Thrones for a few minutes, Tish, because we can kill some time. I literally had no idea whether you've watched that show or not. <laughs> you know, it's got nerd stuff. Of course I've watched it. Yeah, Come I had on. a feeling there would be a there be I'm a, in a band that chance. sings about like, aliens and crap. Of course I've watched this show. Speaking of your band, The Dead Dads, let's get right to it. You'll be in town yes. here soon. What are the deets, as they say? The de- How do you spell that? Deets, D-E-T-S. The details, bro. The debts. Debts. Right. The dead debts. The debts. The debts of the debts are that um, we will be at JJ's Bohemia on May 18th, and we'll have some vinyl in tow. We've got a split that we did with a band called Hurts to Laugh. We covered one of their songs. They covered one of ours. It's super cool. Something we've never done before. We're super excited. Excited. Super excited about it. And um, I really, really, really want to encourage all my friends in Chattanooga to be there. Like, we, we don't come there very often. And the last few times we've been out, uh, it, we didn't really advertise it that much. And, and um, it was a little, like, lower in the attendance. And I really just want to see everybody, basically. Well, to, in all fairness, you're not you're not here that much anymore. You used to, no, you know, you, you, truly. But uh, I got to tell you this, though, that I am so thrilled this might sound weird to some people. I am so thrilled you're on. You're going to be here on a Saturday night because the la- it feels like the last three to five times you've been here on a Friday night. Now I know to some people yep. fr- Friday night is great. For me, Friday night is take it to the damn house. I am done. I'm ready because I have yeah. my weekends free and I get ready on a set. I'm excited, so I will be there on the 18th at JJ's. I'm so glad. So thank I'm so you. Glad. So no more Fridays. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> totally. I have a feeling okay. that there are a certain well, age gra- demographics that were are seeing that you know the old dude Fridays are the are the is just as good as Saturdays. Well, whatever. Everybody has their day. Like I, I don't remember. I don't remember when I'm. I'm gonna be. I'll probably be back on your podcast, but I'll be. Uh, I'll be back at Songbirds doing a solo show, and that'll be the first solo show I've done in probably I don't even know a decade. You said that's um, July. That'll be in July. So we'll talk about that later, but. Yeah, like, I think that's on a Friday. But it's at 7 p.m., so if you can't make it to that, that is just, like, we'll we see. need to just go ahead and dig your grave <laughs> and put you in it. No, that's cool. Because that's, you're done. That's fine. I'll hit up Nightfall on a, on a Friday because it's done by 10 o'clock. I just yeah. can't. I can't wake up on a Saturday and want to die because I was up till three o'clock in the morning at JJ's. That's just my age speaking. Well, uh, the, the three a.m. is not the dead dead's fault. That would be your own damn fault well, because we don't play till three a.m. Well, you know, once whatever I get, you do after we get them playing, that's on your business. Once I get going, I have a hard time stopping. So let's see. Um, <laughs> real quick, real quick. Well, I um, I've done this podcast out of order. I normally just do it kind of like a radio show, flow from front to back. But mm-hmm. I, I've gone out of order today, so this, the next two-thirds of the show is done. And uh, I'm not going to tell you why. If you want to know, you can listen, and I think you'll enjoy it. But I want to ask you this. has nothing to do with Dead Deads. Sure. has nothing to do with uh, anything we've talked about so far. Once upon a time, we were having a conversation. It might have just been through text message. I cannot remember, or it could have been on the phone, or it could have been in person. I just don't remember. There was something about... Life is short, or life is this. It was kind of uh, theoretical. Just that sounds tishy. And yeah. and and you said something uh, about along the lines of I, again. I think maybe I might be wrong, but something that life isn't short. Life is very very long. Life yeah. is life moves quickly, but life is very very long. Was that a conversation between you and me? 
Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. And based on the car, the, the next segment's a little bit heavy. Um, again, I'm not. I'll, I've already you know, this. This show's kind of all uh, out out of order right now. But oh, I, I well, aren't you lucky to have the foresight to tie it all together? <laughs> well, I thought about it as I was going. I was like, wait a second. I think it was Tisha that had this conversation where I kind of, ch- you know, everybody yeah. kind of, and my girlfriend and other people, I, I get where they're coming from when they use that. Hey, life is too short to do this, or life is too short to uh, not do this. Those kinds of things. Yeah. And and. I always kind of thought that way that. too. I, and I, well, after you said that, I felt like, you know what? I think she's right. Just because it goes quickly, just because Monday just evaporated into thin air doesn't mean that life yeah. is short. It means it's just moving quickly. Yeah. Hell yeah. And, and, and I can vouch like at the age I'm at now, every year like goes by so damn fast. Yeah. You're just, you're just mind blown at the speed. And so it's easy to say like life is short, do whatever, but truly like, I think, especially if you're someone that suffers from depression or any kind of, any kind of, any kind of mental illness that makes a day feel long, like we're talking about, we're talking about day in, day out. You have to wake up and figure out how to do it. Yeah. And that waking up and figuring out how to do it for 24 hours, thousands of times is really damn hard. And, um, so, you know, life is, life is, uh, a fast moving thing. Yes. But truly life is long and there's plenty of time to, I don't know if you're asking for this philosophy, but I'm giving it to you truly. Like there's so much time to change your trajectory. Like it feels like it's moving fast, but if you hate it, change it. Like there's, it's so long. Like you could give up on if you've been trying to do something for 20 freaking years and you hate it, freaking give up on it and do something else because life is long. So like you've got plenty more time. So I think that's what you and I were talking about was just like, yeah, it moves fast, but God, there's so much of it. Yeah. And if you're sad, it like is quadruple. Well, this is. This this is fascinating. We could get into a mental health conversation that could go for another twenty minutes, which I don't yeah, have. Yeah, I know you. Can, which, I know you don't have time, which, and I would love to do that sometime. We certainly but. can. I wouldn't mind talking to you about arranging you being a regular, uh, just for things that have nothing to do with your band. But this is going to segue pretty nice into the next segment. I'm just again, I'm not going to go into it right now with you. You can check it out later, or I'll send you some clips sure. of it later. Um, this is great. this is good stuff. Letitia Wolf is my guest on the Stone on Air podcast. The show is JJ's Bohemia on May eighteenth, right? Am yeah, I you guys, right? please come out, please come out. I I just I don't come to Chattanooga that much, and I wish I came more. <laughs> that's what she said. I would love to see. <laughs> oh, everybody. geez, of course, really, that, of course, that's what she said. Joke before we get out of here. I know. Well, that. come on, it's your this work. I we're, wish we're I wish I could come more. <laughs> I wish I could come more. I love you, Letitia. I love you so much. Love you too. Uh, we'll talk again soon, and we'll do some uh, some deeper thoughts on that. And and I, I it's amazing how things just come together when you're putting anything together, whether it's a song or a show or a radio show or a podcast. Where I was thinking and 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 really kind of going deep into something, and I was like, wait a second, I'm almost positive that's something we talked about, and I wanted to bring that yeah. up. Art, art, art is funny that way. It, it tends to serve itself, so that makes perfect sense to me. As soon as you think you have no idea what you're going to do next, it, it oftentimes just just kind of comes together. It is pretty amazing. Yes. Yes, sir. All right, Letitia. We'll talk again soon, okay? Yes, sir. Bye. Right. So it's an absolutely heartbreaking story, but a local Chattanoogan of sorts, anyway, for portions of her life, might be one of the more fascinating and interesting stories in the new media internet world and she passed away earlier this week. Who was Rachel Held Evans? I will tell you exactly who she was coming up next. More of Stone on Air coming up. I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. At stoneonair.com. Rachel Held Evans, a best-selling author with a strong following among progressive Christians, died on Saturday, May 4th. She was only 37 years old. She was hospitalized last month after getting an infection, but when she began having brain seizures, doctors placed her into a medically induced coma for weeks. Her husband, Daniel, shared the process online, writing, Rachel was slowly weaned from the coma medication. 
for seizures returned, but at a reduced rate. There were periods of time where she didn't have seizures at all. Rachel did not return to an alert state during this process. The hospital team worked to diagnose the primary cause of her seizures and proactively treated for some known possible causes for which diagnostics were not immediately available due to physical limitations. Early Thursday morning, May 2nd, Rachel experienced sudden and extreme changes in her vitals. The team at the hospital discovered extensive swelling of her brain and took emergency action to stabilize her. The team worked until Friday afternoon to the best of their ability to save her. This swelling event caused severe damage and ultimately was not survivable. It's kind of like, oh my god. What? Like, uh, wait, what? How, hmm, how, uh, how does that happen? Welcome back to the show. <clears throat> Doing the show out of order today. I hate that. I absolutely hate it. I feel totally out of place. But I'm doing the second segment first. And by the time you hear this, you'll already know. It just totally throws me off. Totally throws off the flow. But, um, so if that's <clears throat> why it sounds a little, I don't know, choppy, maybe that's why. Maybe if I didn't say anything, you'd never even noticed it. So her name is Rachel Held Evans, and I have been following her on Twitter for at least a year, pro- probably more like a couple of years. And a lot of times on Twitter, you forget why you follow somebody, and then sometimes you have to, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to go back and dig through and just see, oh yeah, yeah, is that some? Sometimes bots can take over, and sometimes I don't know. You can start following people you don't know how, uh, whatever. So I've had to do that before. And oh, because she's usually talking religious stuff, not usually, virtually every time she would post. And uh, but I always liked the tone of where she was coming from in her religious, uh, her religious posting, and then the uh, the back and forth because she was not afraid to get um, at least in a debate with somebody. I don't know if it was big time firestorms and nasty arguments a lot. I didn't. I don't follow other people's interaction on on Twitter all that closely unless it just completely grabs my eye, which I guess a time or two it did, but not recently because I had no idea she was even sick. So there was two reasons to go <clears throat> this route today was because one is, like, like I just said, oh my God, what? She went to the hospital with like an, an allergic reaction or something. I mean, this was not, there was nothing here. She's a perfectly healthy 37-year-old woman. And um, then she's just dead four days later. And it's so sad. It's so tragic. Especially, well, I mean, loss of life is is tragic no matter what. But but especially coming from my perspective of this is somebody I really enjoyed uh, I enjoyed her work, and I'm not going to act like I was so, so well-read of all of her stuff. Like, I've read her books and read her blogs. I, I haven't. I've read her tw- I've read her tweets, and I realized that where she was coming from, and I liked that in my feed. Also, the fact that she is from, uh, not originally from Chattanooga, but spent a lot of time in Chattanooga. I'm going to go by her uh, through her bio here in a minute. Originally from Birmingham, I believe. Uh, once I get to that bio, we'll find out together. But uh, from Ray County and Dayton for a while, and then uh, here in Chattanooga. Again, I'll get to that here shortly. So I, I regularly talk to my girlfriend about she kind of has this life is too short to insert here, right? Life is too short to not do this or whatever. She says that a lot. I've always been kind of counter to that logic and saying, I don't believe that life is short at all. I believe that life is very long, as a matter of fact, but it just goes by quickly. Just because life goes by quickly doesn't mean that it's uh, that it's not really long. And I actually think I got that from Letitia Wolf in conversations we've had, uh, just kind of you know, just kind of throw away theoretically uh, over the past. I'll I'll ask her about it when I talk to her in the first segment, which, as I mentioned before, you have now already uh, you've already heard. So I've I'm doing this segment today for two, well, a couple of different, maybe three reasons. One. The just fragile life aspect that will you just never know what's going to happen next. A uh, Chattanoogan for a, a good portion of her life who has done some incredible work and taking a completely different approach and just a breath of fresh air of talking about religion. 
I am, um, there's no secrets anymore out there. I don't talk about it a lot, but I talk about it enough. And certainly, if even if I don't say it out loud, uh, you know, I you can kind of put two and two together. I am not a religious person at all, not even a little bit. I don't consider myself an atheist because atheists, atheism is a very strong belief system. I don't have a very strong belief system whatsoever. Just to be simply kind of crass about it, I don't care. I just don't care. Um, I care if I have a conversation with somebody who knows what they're talking about, who is very well versed in scripture and the, the history of uh, biblical teaching. I love those conversations. You know what the problem is? Those people almost don't exist. I mean, they're around, they're somewhere. But in my walks, in my circles, these people don't exist. People who either just believe what they've been told and don't want to upset grandma and just kind of lie to themselves, they exist, and they don't have anything valuable to bring to that conversation. I'm not saying that's good or bad. There's just a lot of that. And then there's a there's a lot of apathy out there all the way around, and I, I do think there is a lot of, well, I'm not really sure, but, you know, that's what we've always been told to say. So, I mean, I, that, those conversations are very difficult to have, and they're difficult to have because those kinds of people are difficult to find. It was 2015 when I finally decided that I am done pretending that uh, that that religious teachings and deities were anything I had any interest in. I went to Colorado. It was kind of a mind-opening experience because it was going to a place, it felt like another country. It felt like something completely different because it was. The legalization of marijuana was pretty new at that time. Uh, I don't remember what year it passed, but that was 2015. And I took a book with me called The Quotable Atheist, and it wasn't a bunch of famous people or anything. It was just different quotes from different things across, I don't know, the world and the nation, and I don't know what even time frame it spanned, and I didn't read it word for word, but when I was on the plane listening to music or podcasts, I'd be flipping through it, and I pretty much carried around with me as I traveled, because I I travel everything carry-on, and I was only in Denver for like two days, and after hanging out in this area that was so bizarre to me and such a different feeling world where people are smoking pot and nobody seems to care about anything and everybody's just minding their own business and everybody's really enjoying themselves and everywhere you look, everything just seems to kind of fall in line. I walked away saying, you know what? I'm done. I am done bullshitting around about this. I'm done worrying about what anybody else thinks. I was already close to that, but that was kind of the point where like, I'm not holding back any longer on anything that I feel that I want to say out loud. As long as I have a formulated functional uh, conversation about it or a platform where I, I, I do it at least respectfully, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not holding back anymore. And that was in uh, spring of 2015. So right at four years ago. And sometimes I might get a little bit brash and a little bit loud. And I try not to do that uh, often because this is a very sensitive and a very real subject worth having a conversation. Just most people can't keep their shit together long enough to have it. And when somebody like Rachel Held Evans comes along and really shakes things up but makes a ton of sense, it really resonates with me. And then when she dies so tragically, I mean, it really upset me. Somebody I've never met, barely knew anything about, and once I started looking up more about her, it really, really upset me. Because this is one of the good guys or gals, I should say. I have some clips that I pulled up from her over the course of her career and some of her uh, public speaking. And I want to just kind of little read to you radio here and uh, just kind of give you a background of who she was because she is one of the more, I would say, successful Chattanoogans that most people had never heard of. Rachel Held Evans was an American Christian columnist, blogger, and author. Her book, A Year of Biblical Womanhood, was on the New York Times ebook nonfiction bestseller list. Evans was born in Alabama, spent her early years in Birmingham. At age 14, her family moved to Dayton, where her father took an administrative position at Bryan College. She attended Ray County High School and then went to Bryan College, where she majored in English literature. She received her Bachelor of Arts degree in 2003. After graduating from college, Evans moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee to intern for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, which we'll be talking about in the next segment. In 2004, Evans returned to Dayton where she worked full-time for the Herald News, a local paper. In 06, she switched full-time from full-time employment, uh, excuse me, full-time employment to writing pro bono as the paper's humor columnist. 2007, she won an award for best personal humor column from the Tennessee Press Association. She continued to write freelance articles for national publications and began to blog. She got a book deal in 2008, her first book, Evolving in Monkey Town. 
The book explores her journey from religious certainty to a faith which accepts doubt and questioning. The title is based on the Scopes Monkey Trial. Of course, we most of us already know about that. Her second book, A Year of Biblical Womanhood, How a Liberated Woman Found Herself Sitting on a Roof, Covering Her Head, and Calling Her Husband Master, was published in October 2012. And what that's all about is she spent a year living out biblical uh, scripture literally, like the things that they would wear and the way you uh, women had to, to treat their husbands and those kinds of things for the purpose of writing a book. In 2015, she wrote a column in the Washington Post, Want Millennials Back in the Pews? Try, excuse me, Stop Trying to Make Church Cool. I'm going to read portions of that column here in just a minute. Then it talks about her personal life with her husband and, uh, and her death, which we've already gone over. I mean, she died just the other day, four days ago, um, at the time of this recording. This Washington Post uh, blog, I guess you would call it, this opinion piece from 2015. I'm only going to read three paragraphs of it. Want millennials back in the pews? Question mark. Church attendance has plummeted among young adults in the United States. 59% of people ages 18 to 29 with a Christian background have, at some point, dropped out. According to the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life, among those of us who came of age around the year 2000, a solid quarter claimed no religious affiliation at all, making my generation significantly more disconnected from faith members of Generation X, were at comparable points in their life, and twice as detached as baby boomers as young adults. In response, many churches have sought to lure millennials back by focusing on style points, cooler bands, hipper worship, edgier programming, impressive technology. Yet while these aren't inherently bad ideas and might in some cases be effective, they are not the key to drawing millennials back to God in a lasting and meaningful way. Young people don't simply want a better show and trying to be cool might be making things worse. Final paragraph. When I left church at age 29 full of doubt and disillusionment, I wasn't looking for a better produced Christianity. I was looking for a truer Christianity, a more authentic Christianity. I didn't like how gay, lesbian, and bisexual, transgender people were being treated by my evangelical faith community. I had questions about science and faith, biblical inter interpretation, and theology. I felt lonely in my doubts. And contrary to popular belief, the, fo the fog machines and light shows at all those slick evangelical conferences didn't make things better for me. They made the whole endeavor feel shallow, made it feel forced and fake. That takes a lot for a woman to say out loud. And, and I don't mean just a woman, a man, too. Anybody to say out loud. But certainly don't hear it from a female perspective nearly like you would hear at least religious and God conversation commentary, usually not coming from a woman like her. BuzzFeed.news. Why Rachel Held Evans meant so much to many. Just a little bit here. Could questioning God in the Bible actually draw a person closer to God rather than moving them away? Rachel didn't have a lot of patience for those evangelical gatekeepers, maybe because she was so different from them. She held no Ph.D. in theology. She hadn't graduated from a seminary. She hadn't been ordained. She was a woman in a tradition that elevated male voices. She was a Southern woman in a religion that expected Southern women to concentrate themselves more on getting dinner on the table for their husbands than with Hebrew commentaries or the refugee crisis. The public legacy that Rachel leaves is the gift of seeing a 2,000-year-old religion with fresh eyes. One more, and then we'll get to some clips from her in the past at some of her speaking engagements. From Vox, how progressive Christian blogger Rachel Held Evans changed everything. Evans died at the age of 37, following more than two weeks in a medically induced coma due to an infection. During that time, the tweets poured in. First, a prayer chain tagged hashtag pray for RHE, which trended nationwide on Good Friday last month, and then a stream of condolences and tributes. This outpouring of support reflects the exceptional place Evans held as one of the most popular yet polarizing Christian figures in the internet era. Another hashtag, hashtag because of RHE, offers glimpses at her legacy and how she shaped online discussion of faith, especially for women, and paved the way for a generation of fellow writers, speakers, and leaders to build a following online. I regularly say I love passionate people in any setting. 
I don't know whether religious teachings and beliefs are something that I need to, to, to focus my attention on. I happen to not also care at this point in my life. But if you do understand what it is you're believing in, understand what it is that you're, that you're potentially teaching, and sure as hell understand whatever it is you're trying to influence others to follow you in. Don't blindly do it like seems to be the last at least two full generations, maybe even three or more, or maybe hell every one of them, just kind of blindly follow whatever they, they, they do and they rule by uh, or they teach by intimidation with shame and ridicule. And as we've got into the day and age we are, people like me don't give a shit about that and aren't intimidated or scared by the uh, what used to be a much more stigma, much less though it seems these days. Okay, so I have six clips that I'm going to play here for you now uh, from YouTube. I don't know what year they were. I don't know exactly who she was talking to. I wish I had more time. I would have gone through hours of her stuff and found all of, of my favorites. I only had enough time to go through about 45 minutes or so. So let me grab the show sheet here. Uh, this is just the opening of one of her talks at what seems like it's a, it looks like it's a church. It might be a university. I am not sure. Okay, so today I want to talk about having better, more authentic conversations about the Bible. Well, some people would say I shouldn't be here today. Um, They say I shouldn't be speaking to a group of college students in a setting like this. And it's not because I'm too young or too inexperienced or too controversial, but because I'm a woman. And now this uh, position is based primarily on a passage that, um, it's an excerpt actually from a letter, uh, a first century letter out of Asia Minor, believed to be one of the first correspondences between some of the big leaders in the early Christian church. And in the letter, the apostle Paul tells his protege, Timothy, uh, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. So I bet I'm the first woman to speak in chapel and begin with that passage. Um, It's not always a popular one to begin with. She goes on to talk about these two organizations that are couldn't couldn't be much more opposite. The Christians for Biblical Equality and the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And you can kind of take a guess where both of those are going, one being more an equal playing field amongst men and women, and one being more of a men serve a place biblically, women serve a place biblically, and, uh, and those, those belief systems. And she found it strange that the word biblical was used in both of these organizations from the evangelical community when the two organizations had completely different mission statements. So this interests me, uh, this word biblical, not, not so much because I'm a woman, um, and that's interesting, but because I'm a person of faith who loves the Bible, and I hate seeing it reduced to an adjective. Uh, Christians will do this from time to time. We'll talk about biblical politics, biblical stewardship, biblical marriage, as if the Bible has one thing to say about these complex, interesting, nuanced topics, like it's got just one message that can fit on a bumper sticker. And there are a few problems with this. The first is that Christians can never really seem to agree on exactly what you know, constitutes biblical politics, biblical stewardship, biblical marriage. And uh, second is that using the word biblical prescriptively instead of descriptively uh, is inherently selective. Technically speaking, it is biblical for a woman to be sold into slavery by her father to pay off debt. It is biblical for her to remain silent in church. It's biblical for her to be forced to marry her rapist. And it is biblical for her to be one of many wives. I could sit around and listen to to this uh, all day long. And I wish I was more familiar with it before she so suddenly and tragically passed away. She goes on to tell a story about um, when she questioned her religious beliefs. And it was around 2000. Uh, well, not around. It was 9/11, and a lot of um, a lot of news organizations and lots of uh, different outlets were showing 
women and uh, and and children being treated terribly by uh, terrorist organizations. A lot of that was most of the country was fueled to go to war at that time. I'll even admit out loud, hand up. I I said we should go to Iraq. I was also only. 22 years old at that time, or 23 years old by the time we went into Iraq. So, I mean, I didn't really hardly know what the hell was going on. But she saw this video, I don't know if it's on the internet or what, of this woman, a Muslim, getting shot in front of people. And it made her start to question her religious beliefs. And as I watched this footage get played over and over again, especially that particular scene, the thought that kept going through my mind was everything I had been taught growing up assures me that this woman just went to hell for eternity because she's a Muslim and only evangelical Christians and maybe like a Methodist here and there actually go to heaven um, when they die. And so for me, it was it was the question of religious pluralism. Like, how can it be that only evangelical Christians are uh, saved and going to heaven when they die? Uh, what about all these other people and all these other parts of the world who've either never heard of Jesus or who have lives like this woman's Armina uh, that were already filled with suffering and, um, you know, who really had no opportunity to encounter the gospel as I knew it? You know, am I really supposed to believe that the overwhelming majority of people to have lived on this earth never even had a chance at salvation? And that was it, and everything fell apart. I mean, that's, a, that's a bold and brave thing to say. I was a very young person, young child almost, thinking, seriously, everybody? We're, everybody else is wrong, only we're right? Is this really what we're doing here? I was questioning religious beliefs and uh, the teachings from a very young age. And that might be because of some of the influences I had around me that, that came. I did have some friends and families I knew that were atheists. And that might have, there was, well, might nothing. There was absolutely some, some influence there. But I was saying that to myself for a long time. And it was, it was, but it was, you just, you didn't say it out loud. Like, oh my God, no, you never say that out loud. And obviously these days it's, it's much more accepted to say whatever you want out loud. But Rachel Held Evans has been saying these things out loud for the better part of a decade. And 10 years ago, I told you it was 15 when I first decided it was okay for me to do it. 10 years ago, I wouldn't have dared to do that. So that was uh, from a podcast that she was on. This is another question from that host who was asking her about what she thought about the Bible being used as a weapon, as a way to repress the uh, you know slavery back uh, to 150 uh, whatever odd years ago it was, uh, homosexuality, things of that nature. She talks about understanding, completely understanding why people want to question the Bible. And so I think that's one reason why I understand that a lot of people are reluctant to come back to the Bible. You know, if they have broken away from church uh, for their own, you know, health and sanity and, and well-being, uh, or if they have, you know, taken a, a step away from their faith for a time as they work on reconstructing and rebuilding that faith, I get that for a lot of people, the Bible's just, it has so much baggage because it's been uh, used violently against them or cruelly. Or maybe just they, you know, all these stories we grew up with that we once loved, you know, like Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. You know, you read that as an adult and it ends with God telling Joshua and his soldiers to kill every man, woman, and child in this city. So you encounter stuff like that and the, the patriarchy and 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 other issues, and it can be hard to recover that love of Scripture, which is what I'm really aiming to do with this latest project. So I got one more here from her and then one more from just some random uh, YouTube account hating on her before she died, All the full disclosure, before she died. But there's a lot of this, and YouTube is just littered with garbage. But this is, uh, again, the final clip from Rachel Held Evans. She is talking about a biblical story. She goes on, she can talk for a long time, so narrowing these down to short pieces is kind of hard. She's talking about this story about there was doing some baptizing, and it was in the wrong area of the world or the the storyline or the, uh, the, the body of water wasn't right. I don't know. And instead of just saying, no, we got to go along with the company line, we, uh, the, the John Paul or whoever the hell it was ended up doing it anyway. And she, her point she was trying to make was, first of all, it started with how do we get millennials back into the church? But also sometimes we just have to get out of our own damn way. And I think you can add that to anything in your life. 
But we religious types aren't very good at getting out of the way, are we? We're much better at building walls. We're much better at retreating into temples. We're better at making mountains out of our ideologies and our rules and our legalism. But there's this voice calling from the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Tear down the mountains. Smooth out a path. Get out of the way, out of the way and God will move. And I wonder sometimes if this is what Jesus meant when he said that with enough faith we can move mountains. Because sometimes the hardest mountains to move are the ones of our own making, right? So, spoiler alert, I don't know how to bring millennials back to the church. I don't know how to confront the growing secularism in our culture, but I know that Jesus is sufficient. I know that Jesus is enough, and if Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, I think it will probably survive the information age. And I know that sometimes the hardest thing is just to make ourselves get out of the way. And to let God do God's work. Get out of your own damn way. I absolutely love these messages. And I don't even agree with a lot of them. And that's when you found somebody who really knows what they're doing and really understands the uh, the gravity of the situation and how important the message they're trying to make is. They, they, they bring you in whether you agree or not. That is such an incredible way to look at things. Do unto others as you would want done unto you or whatever the hell those words are. It couldn't be a, a better way to live your life. I don't care if it comes from scripture or if it came from a, a textbook or if it came from a fortune cookie. I don't care where it came from. That's a hell of a way to live your life. And then, of course, in anywhere in the world of the internet age, you're going to have buffoons and numb nuts like this guy. Don't remember his name. Don't care. There's countless of this mess out there. And to be able to look at what she did and did so well and so successfully and be so hateful towards it is why we are just a torn, torn, shredded mess of an overall ideological and religious, so-called religious and Christian-based nation. You know, it's not really that difficult to understand, and this is simply a test of this woman. That's all this is. It's a test of this woman's faith. He's not, he's not saying that she's subhuman or anything like that. It's a reference to her being a Gentile. You don't have to take it as anything more or anything less. But if you have a social justice warrior mentality where you want to read the Bible and cram in your own agenda into it, this is what you're going to come away with. And this right here should prove to anybody and everybody that people like this woman here, their agenda is not to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, Savior, the sinless, perfect Lamb of God, uh, He who takes away the sin of the world, salvation from sins, you wicked, vile, wretched sinner that needs a Savior. Uh, risen Lord Jesus is not the, the primary interest. It is rather to twist the Word of God to fit her own personal social justice agenda. And she's willing to throw the deity of Christ, she's willing to throw his sinless perfection under the bus and just take a shot at him here in a day and age when the world's going to proclaim this, you know, as just a great thing. It is a great thing. It absolutely is a great thing. I could have found so much more of that kind of thing, and I just wanted to find one good example. How is it anything she is doing while she spreads the word of Jesus Christ, God, de the deity, the holiness, the, uh, the, the, the teachings of the Bible, in the way that she does in a fair and compassionate way, how it could ever be looked at as anything other than a compassionate way to uh, to follow a passionate subject? Just, oh, I mean, it just dumbfounds me. Dumbfounds me. But, and, and I, I got take that back. I guess it doesn't dumbfound me. I, I guess it is not that surprising, but it is absolutely heartbreaking that a woman this intelligent, this well-spoken, this well-written, uh, well of a writer, uh, a communicator, a, a compassionate person who takes something that is very, very important to many people and puts it in the best perspective I've ever heard. It is so heartbreaking that we lost her in such a tragically sad, sad way. Just, just remember, you never, ever know. And maybe life is very short. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my girlfriend's right. Maybe Letitia Wolf isn't right. Maybe life isn't long. Because in this case, in this situation, the proof is right there. Rachel Held Evans' life was not very long, and she made the best of all of it. Coming up next, a Twitter thread between four of us, most, mostly between three, with me with a little interaction, talking about newspapers, online content, what you pay for, what you don't, what we expect free, all centered around the local rag, the Times Free Press here in Chattanooga. Tennessee. We'll do that coming up next. This is the Not So Weekly Dose 
for May 9th, 2019. Hang tight. I'll be right back. That's me in the spot. understand the press is to remember that they pander to their readers' prejudices. Don't tell me about the press. I know exactly who reads the papers. The Daily Mirror is read by people who think they run the country. The Guardian is read by people who think they ought to run the country. The Times is read by the people who actually do run the country. <laughs> the Daily Mail is read by the wives of the people who run the country. <laughs> the Financial Times is read by people who own the country. <laughs> the Morning Star is read by people who think the country ought to be run by another country. <laughs> The Daily Telegraph is read by people who think it is. What about the people who read The Sun? Sun readers don't care who runs the country as long as she's got big tits. <laughs> oh, British comedy, the BBC. Yeah, recycling some regulars today from Losing My Religion with R.E.M. in last segment and then 21st Century Digital Boy from Bad Religion. Uh, Stranger Than Fiction, the name of that record back in, what, 1995, maybe? 94, 95, so it's funny how I go about putting together shows. I, I spend portions of my week sometimes stressing over, God damn it, what am I going to do next? Like, how am I going to get a show together in the next however many hours or days or minutes it is before I'm trying to get out a weekly show? For the longest time, every Wednesday. Now, it, eh, you know, we'll just see. And then out of nowhere, something just happens. And in these both two segments, that's exactly what that was. I'm a tragic death by an incredible uh, of an incredible woman, and then looking into her past and seeing she's from Chattanooga and she's so she was so great, and that made a segment right there. Like, well, there there goes at least a, 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 a half the show probably, and then just a simple Twitter back and forth over the last oh 48 hours or so, and it's a it's a topic that I like to uh, to, to to have. Discussion I like to have because of the uh, the troubles that we have now with what we do or don't pay for, and we've got so used to getting everything for free online because for so long content producers didn't take the internet seriously. I remember it was uh, I don't know two thousand. It was before the championship game was gone from Finley Stadium, so it must have been oh eight or oh nine. And uh, David Smotherman, a guy who uh, is known by a lot of people in town, Winder Binder, da- Winder Binder downtown, lots of inter- uh, work with uh, UTC and uh, the sports department. He was credentialed to go to something. One of the, I think it was a championship game. And Jim Reynolds, old prude, a friend, family friend, but just an absolute old boring prude, over at Talk Radio, made this just real snide asshole comment about, yeah, oh yeah, him and his blog. He had MoxFans.com, which was just getting crazy traffic. Great, crazy good traffic. It's probably deader than a doornail now. But at the time, 10 years ago, it was doing really well. And, it, and a radio guy, oh, well, that's stupid. Yo, of course that's what you think, old man. So it took so long for content producers to realize, uh, guys, this is real. 
and we got to figure out how to monetize this because everybody who was doing anything, who was taking it seriously, was giving their content away because they were dying. They were thirsting for somebody to consume their content. So the other day on Twitter, uh, Allison Collins. I don't know her. I recognize it now. For She's a writer for the Chattanooga Times Free Press. But she uh, put a, a post out on Twitter that says, and it was all that, that kind of period thing that gives every word an extra emphasis. Please stop copying and pasting articles and sharing with the masses. Uh, my uh, buddy Chris Acuff uh, uh, retweeted it with a uh, quote tweet. Times Free Press is still in search of the equilibrium price for local news in the Chattanooga market. My buddy Patrick jumps in with current subscription price be like, and it's that meme that the rent is too high. Current subscription price be like too high. Then let's see. Chris jumps back in and says, every time I think about subscribing, I ponder what I would rather do with $400 a year, and then I close the tab. So Allison is talking about uh, wanting people to pay for their for, for the content. Pay either buy the paper or pay for the subscription service Online, So the players in this back and forth are Chris, Patrick, Allison, and me. And Allison is the writer for the Chattanooga Times Free Press. So I'll now continue with this verbatim um, of this very cordial uh, back and forth over the course of a few hours on Twitter the other day. Patrick says they want an absolutely absurd amount to subscribe, they being the Chattanooga Times Free Press. This is now me. I used to joke. Quote, I love the Times Free Press. I glance at it every day. But in all honesty, it's a great paper. Every time I look at it, I read something I likely wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. But dollars are dollars, and I only have so many of them. Chris jumps back in. I think the spike in subscription costs occurred right around the time the, quote, we are investing in print PR campaign rolled out. Allison from the TFP jumps in and says, I appreciate this, y'all. I'm not even saying I disagree. What would you be willing to pay each month for quality news, though, if anything? Chris says, I would pay the digital-only price if it didn't double every six months, or after six months, I should say. I think that's a reasonable price, but I absolutely dispose the gimmicky bullshit of having to cancel and do it again, etc. If I'm paying 30 a month, I might as well just get the full print subscription. Patrick says, if by the digital-only price you mean the $16.99 temp price, I'd pay that. It's too much for the masses, but I'd personally still pay it. I never jumped in there. I I don't... Actually, no, I did. Hold on. I'll be back in a second. Uh, let's see. Chris says, relatedly, I'm teaching an urban policy course this fall and thought about requiring students to read the paper, but I'm not going to make them pay $17 to $30 a month. UTC used to provide the TFP, the New York Times, the Washington Post for students. Chris continues with another tweet. Anyway, I get it. The internet, social media, Napster generation, etc. has ruined most papers' business model. We want stuff for free. I know the value of local journalism, but I still have the same mindset. Some equilibrium equilibrium exists between the Noog and TFP, but it ain't there yet. Patrick jumps back in and says, but we also felt that way about music and movies at one time. Now I'd never expect to get music or a movie for free and am happy to pay the artist for their work. If a reasonable price point, I'd also be happy to pay journalists for their work, which I greatly appreciate. Allison from the TFP says, this is a point I hadn't even considered. We've come a long ways from the Napster days, and I think you're right. I should be more optimistic about this than I am. Chris jumps back in. The two of us probably aren't representative, but neither is the cesspool of the comment sections with a smiley face. I would imagine subscribers slew older, but something has to capture the younger generation. Allison says, if I want to be a journalist in 30 years and we have got Game of Thrones to capture those under 40. Now, I see this uh, going on after I've been kind of dormant for a little while and come in and say, I'm a tangible kind of guy. A digital subscription doesn't do anything for me. My ADHD is absolutely out of control online. I need the sectional newspaper in my hand or I'll never read it. And I never, um, I guess I didn't answer the question, what would you pay? Well, I would pay for the newspaper itself if it wasn't so expensive. And I know this sound, it's only a dollar piece. Yeah, well, there's 30 days in a month. So it isn't that cheap. And I remember telling uh, somebody many years ago who was 10 years younger than me how much my newspaper 
uh, subscription cost. And this person about hit the floor and thought, you are the most insane person I have ever met because that's just not how the youth gets their information. I still would like it in my hands, but most people not. So what is the right price for a, 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 a newspaper subscription, especially in a town like Chattanooga? What is the right price for that monthly? I don't know. Is it a dollar a day? Is it 50 cents a day? Um, I don't, I just, I just don't know. One thing about Twitter, it is pretty annoying to try to keep up with some of these threads. Chris says the Tennessean is part of the USA Today network of awesomeness. I don't know if he meant that sarcastic or not. So they have a size scale advantage, but I'd be interested to see what other subscriptions are at comparable papers, but it does seem steep when somebody had mentioned how much Tennessean, much bigger market from Patrick, but I'm pretty sure if you can subscribe to a digital for 10 months, TFP sure seems like an extreme outlier for price. Smacks of asking digital subscribers to subsidize print. I read the paper every day, but I haven't picked up a paper copy in years. And then it's go on and on about Napster days and all these other things. And I can't get into all that right now, but uh, it's an interesting conversation to have. Then Patrick says later on, Brian is stuck in a group message hell here with the laughing while crying emoji. And I came in and said, I had 19 notifications just now. 19! Then I realized it was two to four people all screaming in the woods about the local rag. I got so excited for a minute. And then I just, SMH. Yeah, I went that road. I went the uh, the, the abbreviations shaking my head chris says i'm surprised that it wasn't more i don't know what you do about this i love paying for things that i like and i love supporting people that i believe in and i think that's happening more and more with the millennial ages i think the gen xers are not about that i think the baby boomers are not about that nearly as much but certainly not the gen xers we were raised as the internet as being a wide open free frontier where you didn't have to pay for anything hardly except for just some access to it and we all got used to the Napster, the LimeWires, the uh, the blogospheres, the, the the information that was there for you to consume. It was a place we could go away to get a, to to go to get away from all the normal things, from all the regular things, from all the rests of life, and we could have our own little world over here. And then after a while, it turned into what really was on the internet was reflective and a uh, not even just a microcosm it was the real world what's happening here is more important almost than what you're actually doing in the real world i can go in my backyard and scream something or i can go on my facebook page and scream something and what i put on my facebook page is a hell of a lot more important and certainly a hell of a lot more impactful this is from something i found online real quick on my way out the door here eight reasons people pay for content when they can get it for free because yes there are people who are willing to pay for things that they enjoy things that they want why people pay for content in the past year several of my friends and i have paid for subscriptions to the new york times it's definitely not the only place we can get our news and at roughly 27 dollars per month it's far from the cheapest but we're not the only ones willing to pay for great content. The New York Times subscription revenue has grown year after year. 157,000 people signed up for the digital subscriptions in the third quarter of 2017. According to a 2015 survey from the Neom Lab, 93% of 18 to 34-year-olds regularly pay for content, such as entertainment, educational, informative content, and news. The most interesting takeaway from the survey, for creators at least, those paying for their content are more likely to engage with the same type of content available for free on Facebook or other platforms. This begs the question, why are people, including you and me, paying for content when they can get similar content without paying a dime? And that's just it. You have to decipher what is and isn't good content. There's trash and just litter all over the place. Everywhere you turn, Facebook is an absolute internet wasteland. Twitter is if you let it. Uh, Instagram is just a vanity plate of, of nonsense. Yeah, if you want to get your information from there, go right ahead. You'll get numbnuts like that guy I played the clip earlier who thinks that Rachel Held Evans is a, is a, is a kook, is, a, is an asshole, is a terrible, you know, ideological, theological person. Yeah, you'll find that mess everywhere. But when you find places you trust... You find music you like, you find reading that you enjoy, you find audio you want to hear, and not just what's available to everybody, but what is the exclusive content, which hopefully one of these days I'll get around to doing through my uh, process of distribution here of this, of this show every week, then people will pay for it. But you got to work your ass off. 
And you got to deliver consistent content. It's always got to be good. It can't, you can't be great every day, but it's always got to be well-prepared and well-put-together content, which is everywhere. You just got to find it. And the biggest problem that the Chattanooga Times Free Press has is that they actually have built their digital presence so well that it's overwhelmingly annoying. They, they shoot out and just litter social media with all these articles they won't let you read. I mean, it's just one after another. And most of what they put out there is not worth reading because it's something you can get anywhere else. But a lot of it, a, a, a good portion of it, is stuff that is created by locals. And that gets mixed up with the stuff that I can get anywhere else. And as soon as you paywall the hell out of me, I'm out. And, and and it gets confusing. And they and not to mention, they employ people to litter their social media and internet presence like that asshole Leslie Dale, one of the worst people I've ever met. So, yeah, they've got a few things going against them. And I, and I don't want to make sure this doesn't get confused. One of my dear, dear friends, Barry Corder, has worked at the paper forever. And he's one of the reasons I still give it a look and still read his work because I love Barry. And he works with Leslie. But Leslie is disgusting. She's an awful human being. But their social media is annoying, and it regularly is just kind of dangling stuff in front of you. Hey, you want to read this? You want this? Oh, no, you can't. Well, most times what you're posting on your social media is just drivel I can get anywhere else. Now, there's plenty there that you're posting that I can't, but more times than not, it's information I can get somewhere else. So guess what I do? I go somewhere else. All right, that's all I got. Um, running a little late on everything. As always, I appreciate you finding the show this week. If you're a new listener, I would certainly appreciate it if you left a review or rated anything anywhere. I always say, if you ask me to do it for you, I likely wouldn't. So um, I don't blame you for not wanting to. But if that does present, if that situation does present itself, I would certainly appreciate that. At Stone on Air on all social media. And uh, that's about all I got for right now. Y'all have a great week. We'll do it again next week. This is the Stone On Air Podcast. A not-so-weekly dose for May 9th, 2019. And I love you to death. Y'all have a great week.